0: That DNA, let me just throw this out real quick. If you're interested in that date not accelerated, that's what DNA stands for, uh, for you and your spouse, or if you, you're the only one who can come. Tammy's going to be at that back barista table. There's a green sheet of paper on it. Let her know so we can get a head count so we'll know how much uh, food to prepare. I was going to like make it sound like it was awful, like beans and taters or something, but anyway, am not going to do that. Yeah, sorry, that's, that's good. Beans and taters are good. I grew up on them. Welcome to Ordinary Faith. It's really good to see you guys today. Um, If this is your first Sunday here, I'm not going to apologize or anything, but I'm going to warn you. I speak on giving like two times a year, and you pick that one Sunday. So, woo, yeah. Way to go. All right. All right. We've been dealing with the idea of church and rethinking some things about church. We talked about how it's more than a sermon uh, the first week, and Michael Longfellow dove into the idea of how that we are here to be the church in the world, not just go to church. And last time we talked about worship and how that worship is sacrifice and and how that worship is something we do all the time and that every moment of our life is an act of worship, really. And today we're going to talk about giving. Now, some of you guys have no problem with giving, and what I hope to do for you today is I hope to put give you a new perspective of giving that's going to excite you about what you're already doing and some of you may be like I don't really know if that's for me or whatever and we're gonna dive into that subject too and help you see how powerful this can be to not only impact your life but the life of the world around you and so uh, I know at moments you may go ah this is an uncomfortable subject I promise you it will be but we'll have fun anyway (laughs) sound good well it sounds okay right okay so, Ordinary Faith, if it's your first Sunday here or you're just checking us out uh, or you haven't been coming long, you're like, what's that name about? I get that question all the time. I mean, are you a church or not? Yeah, we're a church. We just don't put it in the name. We like to confuse people. We find we get more guests if they don't know what we are when they get here. <laughs> so, Ordinary Faith, what is it? It's, it's just practical faith that works on Monday just like Sunday. We feel like a whole lot of times that people uh, approach faith like it's a Sunday morning thing, like it's a religious thing. And it's not. It's got to, we believe that faith must impact every aspect of your life. And today we're talking about a very practical subject, something very dear to the heart. And you're, you're probably sitting there going, I don't want you talking about my wallet. Well, don't worry, I'm going to talk a lot more than your wallet, okay? When I'm done, you probably won't like me. It'll be great. <laughs> totally kidding. Well, okay, maybe just a little bit, okay? Okay. We also don't take an offering in Ordinary Faith, and so we don't pass the plate. Now, a lot of churches do, and I want you to know when they do that, they're not doing that to try and get your money. They're doing that to try and help people worship from a very important place, and so I don't want to criticize them. We've just taken a different approach on giving because we don't want someone to come in and think we're about their money. We're not. We're about their heart. We're about our hearts. But we do, this church runs on giving, so we have budgets, and we actually pay these weird guys we call pastors, and just all kinds of things. And so uh, it's a necessity, but I, I don't want you to think for a second as I talk about giving, I don't want you to lose the and in thinking that I'm trying to get something out of you. I'm not. I'm not trying to get anything out of you. Ordinary faith, we're not trying to build our own kingdom on earth. We're not trying to get our brand out there. We're trying to impact the world for the kingdom of God. We're trying to help not just our church, but all the churches in town and many of the community efforts that are out there. And so we talk about giving. I'm talking a whole lot broader than an offering at church. Okay? You, does that make a little sense? I'm talking about a whole lot more than that. So let's start out with this idea of this weird word. If you haven't been around church much, you may have heard, or maybe you haven't heard this word, the tithe. And sometimes it's used as a noun, as I just used it, the tithe. Sometimes it's used as a verb, I tithe. It's like it's something you do. And so today we're going to talk about tithing and giving. I'm going to show you how they're different. We're going to dive into some really cool passages that are just going to open your eyes to some things uh, and and kind of maybe cause you to look at what you're doing in this area of your life and grow. So let's dive into a scripture. I'm going to read a lot of scripture today. Uh, It's going to be rewarding. So are you ready? Right. Good deal. 30 of you are ready. So let's go. All right. That's all I need, man. That's all I need. 30. Okay. Okay. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. What do you know? That just defeats most of the charity raising that's out there right now, doesn't it? For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. One pastor I had many years ago said that word cheerfully could be translated hilariously. But I have never given hilariously. So uh, maybe one day I might achieve it. You never know. Maybe one of you guys will be back there putting an offering in today and you'll bust out hilariously. And I'll videotape it and go, what happened? Anyway, so. Verse eight, and God will generously provide all your need, then you will always have everything you need, and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor, their good deeds will be remembered forever. So I've got a little bit further to go in this text, but just want to show you... One, Paul isn't asking you whether or not to give. It's actually he's tossing into your lap how much to give. It's, it's not a whether or not kind of thing, but deciding uh, how much. And also, he doesn't, he, doesn't talk, he doesn't want you dealing with the pressure of those kind of things. Oh, one more thing. He talks about giving things out of things that have already been given to you. Not things you don't have, but things that you do. Just pointing those out. Bear with me. Verse 10. God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. It seems like God is looking at people who are conduits of blessing and giving them resources so they can continue to bless, is what the text seems to, to indicate. Verse 11, yes, You'll be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And, and when we take your gifts to those who need them, Paul is talking about a specific offering in this text, they will thank God. Now look at verse 12. So two things will result from this ministry of giving. I don't know if you've ever thought of giving as a ministry or an act of service, but that's clearly how Paul sees it. He says this twice. Okay, so these Two good things are going to result from the ministry of giving. What are they? The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met. There was a famine going on in Jerusalem that this particular story is addressing. Christians were going without food, and other Christians around the world were trying to bless them because they had been blessed by them. And so they were sending money back. And so Paul says the first thing that's going to happen is the needs going to be met. Second thing that's going to happen, they will joyfully express their thanks to God. So when these people give and when you give, needs are met and God is praised. Needs are met and God is praised. Not you are praised, God is praised. Let's keep going, all right? Verse 13. As a result of your ministry, okay? The ministry of giving is your ministry. Now, I know a lot of folks are like, well, I just don't have the gift of giving. Well, I understand. I'm broke too. <laughs> That's not what this is talking about. This is something that we all have. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. For your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given you. Thank God for this gift, too wonderful for words. Man, yeah. beautiful, isn't it? You know, John 3, 16, and I, I, I threw it into my prayer, but I just want to remind you that the verse, for God so loved the world that he gave. And we just could stop right there, you know? God loved the world, and so out of his love, he gave his son. And as we talk about the idea of, in the ministry of giving, we got to put it and anchor it in the right place. It comes out of a, a place of love. And so today I'm going to talk about a few things. Some of it may be new to you. It's okay. I'm going to do my best to explain it. But if I don't do a good job, just try and look like it made sense. <laughs> All right? So a lot of folks at church, they, they tithe. And so I wanted to address that. Because a lot of times we talk go to church, they, they don't talk about giving. They don't talk about charitable donations. They talk about this thing called tithe. And so I wanted to help you wrap your head around what it was. And, and, uh, and what it means to us and what we should do about it. And then from that place, we're going to go to a new idea in the New Testament, on the New Covenant of giving, okay? So let's start with this idea of the tithe. What is it? Uh, what's it about? How, does, how do you do it? Uh, does it work? Uh, and you're like, what do you mean, does it work? I'll explain in just a second, okay? The tithe. Tithe just means 10%, okay? That's what the word means. Now, that's not what a tithe is. A tithe is the best and first 10%. The best and first 10%, not, not just 10%. So, so when people talk about tithing, they're not talking about just giving a dime out of a dollar. They're talking about giving the best and, and first of all that they produce, okay? Because God deserves the best because he gives it all to us anyway. So when people talk about tithing, that's what they're talking about. Now, the word's a little scary, First of all, we don't know what it means. When we don't know what a word means, then anybody can define the word for us. And so I've tried to put a very simple definition on it for you. But the, the tithe is predominantly talked about under the, something the Old Testament called the law, or under the Old Covenant. And so it can be a little scary. A lot of, If you've gone to church much, you probably heard a sermon on tithing, and it probably was a little guilt-driven, maybe, or something a little, a little scary. Michael's laughing at me because I'm being so... Calm with it. <laughs> I'm trying to paint it not as bad as it can sound. So, I'm going to read you one of the texts that you will hear when people talk about the tithe. It's a little scary text. Can you handle a little, a little something that might be make you? Can you yeah, never mind. Yeah. I'm going to do it anyway. You don't look ready, but we'll do it. Okay. <laughs> Malachi, or as I like to call it, Malachi. No, I'm just kidding. It's Malachi. Verse chapter 3, verse 8. Should people cheat God? I mean, it seems like the answer that's obvious, right? I mean, should people cheat God? And and so, God, you ever had a conversation with your kids, but you didn't let them participate? (laughs) This is what's happening in Malachi 3.8, all right? So, should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me, but you ask, what do you mean? Uh, When did we ever cheat you? God answers, you've cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me, verse 10, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there'll be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test, okay? Now, this scripture a good scripture, but I want to put it in the right place. I'm not saying it's not true. It is true. But it is under the old covenant. It's under the law. And that makes a big difference. Why? Because the whole world's under the law. I don't care if you go to church, I don't care if you believe in God, I don't care if you're an atheist, you are under the law. Ten Commandments, don't kill, don't steal, under that law, okay? The only way to escape the law is through Jesus Christ. He's the answer, okay? That's the only way out of the law. This is very important to understand. So when we talk about the tithe, in this context, it's under a covenant that the whole world is under unless they've trusted Jesus Christ. So, that kind of comes to the question about tithing. Like I said, how do you do it? How does it work? I'll tell you something about tithing. Tithing works. You don't have to be a Christian for tithing to work. You don't have to believe for tithing to work. Why? Because it's biblical principle. It's under the law. The law is a series of blessings and curses. And so you could tithe, and if you did it according to Scripture, Proverbs 3, 9, 10, honor the Lord with your wealth, the best part of everything you produce, then He'll fill your barns with grain, and your vats will overflow with good wine. You could uh, could obey the, the tithe, and you would be financially blessed, but that would not mean you were a child of God. It would not mean you had met Jesus Christ. It would not mean you were free from the law, okay? Now, that may not make a lot of sense to you, but just bear with me, okay? It's under a covenant that that Jesus Christ fulfilled. But you do need to understand, just because someone is being blessed doesn't mean they know Christ. Okay? And this is one of those principles that anyone can use. In fact, I would argue, and and you could argue with me, but I would not listen to you, because that's how it's done today. But, uh... (sighs) I would argue that a lot of the the best business books out there, leadership books, positive attitude books, what they have done is either either accidentally discovered or actually mined scriptures themselves, and they've discovered biblical principles that work under the Old Covenant, and they just work. God knows how the world works. So when you read the law, God's just telling you how this thing works, okay? But here's the problem with all that stuff. The law has a purpose. And it is not to make you rich. It is not to get you into heaven. It is not to make you right with God. It is not to, get, to make you free of guilt. Here's the purpose of the law, plainly stated by the Apostle Paul in Romans 3.19. This matters, so bear with me. We're digging into the concept of the tithe, so I want to put it in the right place. Romans 3.19, Paul writes, Obviously the law applies to those to whom it was given. Well, obviously. For its purpose... It's to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. That's the covenant that the minimum of the tithe, remember I said that, is under, okay? And its purpose is not to justify you, make you rich. Its purpose is to show that you fall short. That's its purpose. Now, you're probably sitting there going, well, that seems unfair. God, what's God up to? I'll tell you what God's up to. He's actually up to saving you and giving you crazy, awesome life. But we have to deal with where we're coming from, and this issue of giving is a great place to deal with it. So, I said at the beginning of this that tithing and giving are different things. And so, the law always deals with this idea of, of minimum requirements. And so, when you read the Ten Commandments, that's kind of the minimum. Right? Thou shalt not kill. You know how many times someone has come to me and, I've, and we've been talking and I've asked them, I said, hey man, do you know for sure you have Christ? Are you going to heaven when you die? And they would say to me something like, well, I ain't never killed nobody. I'm like, well, okay. <laughs> Should I be nervous right now? I, I, I don't know. Um, anyway, so Jesus said this in Matthew five seventeen. though. He says, don't misunderstand why I have come. Jesus speaking of himself, I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. He didn't come to end those things. He says, no, I came to accomplish their purpose. He came to fulfill them, to finish them. And so when we think about this concept of the tithe, at least in the concept that we often talk about, or in the way that we often talk about it, we've got to put it back under that old covenant, which was a lot about the minimums. But we're not in that covenant. If we are Christ, we move to a new place, a place we call grace. Under the law, the law is about what is required, but grace is about what is possible. You should write this down. It's on a slide so you would remember it, OK? The law is about the requirements, and grace is about what's possible. Grace looks to the horizon. The law looks to the fence. The law says, how far can I get from God and still have God, maybe still get to heaven? Grace is about how close can I get to God? How how well can I know Him? Can I know Him like a father? Can I really be a son to Him? That's what grace does. Changes the conversation, and it really changes the conversation when we come to the subject of giving. Because I've seen, a, I've known a, a number of people over the years, many, many, and I've known some that theologically, I would not say that they were mature theologically. Now, you're probably sitting there going, What does it mean to be mature theologically? I really don't know, but it sounded good. <laughs> I've known a lot of people that wouldn't be considered theologically mature, but their faith was of such that they believed God for crazy big things and accomplished crazy big things. That's what grace is about. It's about moving from, from a place of the minimum to a place of possibility. So where the, the tithe, which is a 10%, it might annoy you. You may like, maybe if that's your minimum you're living under, I give 10% to the church or to this or to many different charitable things, however you do it. You may be thinking, well, I give 10%, so I'm not to put off that new truck for a year. Okay, It's an inconvenience. Or we're going to have to wait a little bit on this. It's something that might be annoying. That's under the law. Under grace, you might be bankrupted by your love for something. Let me read you a passage that blows my mind. Are you ready for your mind to be blown? No, you're not. But let's do it anyway. All right? 2 Corinthians 8.1. Paul's writing, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. God in his kindness. Follow this thought, okay? God sees this as a a real blessing. Paul sees this as a real blessing. Verse 2, look what is happening. They're being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. So notice that their giving, what they're, he's about to talk about, is a fruit of their joy. They're filled with happiness and joy in the Father, and so now they, it, it results in giving. Okay, Let's go on in the text, verse 3. For I can testify, Paul is a witness, that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. Is this amazing or what? Verse 5, they even did more than we had hoped. For their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us just as God wanted them to. Their giving came out of their relationship with God. Their giving came out of a place where Jesus was Lord in their life. And they loved, just like God so loved the world he gave, they so loved God they gave. And in a way that was beyond them. Verse 9 goes on to say, You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. You see, these Disciples in Macedonia looked at Jesus Christ and they realized God, the Son, bankrupted Himself to save us for our benefit. And they saw in that gospel story that they, they would get the privilege and take the privilege of bankrupting themselves to provide for the brothers in Jerusalem who had actually made it possible for them to learn about Christ. They considered it a privilege to give and bless their other brothers. They were honored to do so. So the law, the tithe might annoy you, but grace and giving, it might bankrupt you. Now you're probably sitting there going, that's crazy. That's what I'd be thinking. That's nuts. I would not do that. What kind of thinking would compel a person to look at giving in this extreme of a way? And I'm, I'm admitting it's extreme. I present a lot of extreme ideas. So welcome. So ordinary faith. (laughs) I mean ordinary faith. I misspoke that. What, What kind of thinking compels this kind of giving? Most of us possess, as Zig Ziglar called it, stinking thinking. That means that we look at our finances, we look at what we have available to us, and we divvy out of our meager resources. And we're always wanting to make sure there's enough for us. In fact, that's our primary concern. I want to make sure I have enough, there's enough for tomorrow, enough for the next day, all these kinds of things. That is how we, in the Western world, not just America, but in Western thinking, that's how we look at it. We, are, we operate primarily from a place of lack, a place where there is not enough. But here's the problem. If you're a child of God, and if you're not, this part isn't for you, but you might want to remember it because you might come to faith, and then it'll be for you, and shazam, there you go. Um, yes, I, I knew Gomer Powell personally, but 90% of you don't, and so it's okay. Um, we come, we, when we operate in a place of lack because we live in this natural world, and we look at our bank accounts and our resources, but you're not from here anymore the day you place faith in Christ. You live from a new kingdom. And in that new kingdom, things have changed. Jesus says this in Matthew 6.31. So don't worry. Pause. Here's something Jesus is going to tell you not to worry about, okay? You ready? I didn't say it was going to be easy. I'm just going to tell you this is something Jesus doesn't want you to worry about. And here it is. Don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat How many of you already have lunch plans figured out today? I do. I I was worried about what I would eat because I don't want to miss any meals. In fact, I'd like a few extra. What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. Boy, that's a sobering line. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, people without faith. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. So his conclusion of the matter in verse 33 is, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Okay, Michael, I got a budget. I got limits. And I'm going to say, sure, in the natural you do. But I want to remind you of a little story. And if you don't know the story, I'll try and refresh you on it. Jesus Christ was out teaching people at least three days away from the nearest town. Out, out where he was teaching, he concluded his seminar, sermons, whatever it was. And all these people had been with him long enough that they ran out of lunch and lunch money and all those resources. He turns to his disciples and he says, hey guys, let's feed them. And the disciples freaked out. Because there were 5,000 of them, which is a lot of people to have for lunch. So The disciples are like, what are we going to do? We don't have enough money. There's nowhere to get food. Yada, yada, yada. They're living in the world that you and I primarily exist in, a world where there's not enough, where the resources are meager. That's where their thinking is. But that's not where Jesus' thinking was. And we have to learn to think like Jesus. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Our minds get transformed to think like Jesus. So Jesus looked at the situation in the natural, but he lived in another kingdom. A kingdom that never ran out. A kingdom of infinite supply. A kingdom where God creates and the impossible is now possible. And that's the kingdom Jesus lives in. And so he looks at 5,000 people. He looks at the kingdom he lives in and is, that he knows about. He looks at the natural kingdom. He says, 5,000 people, lunch, no problem. And all those disciples are there, like, this is still a problem. Which is exactly what you did when you looked at your bills this month, right? There's a problem. And so it starts with a lunch, a kid's lunch. And, and at some point, I don't know exactly how this worked out, but I know there's 12 guys walking around at some point with 12 empty baskets. I know because they were all full by the end of it. There were 12 baskets, 12 disciples to carry them, so I'm assuming they all had an empty basket at some point. It started with an empty basket on their point part. And then they, they go to Jesus, and Jesus pulls a supply from a place they don't know about, a place that's infinite. And 5,000 people get fed. And there's more left over. Than they ever could have supplied. How does this work? Jesus tells you how it works. Seek the kingdom, and God will meet all your needs. Okay. And so when we talk about giving, we're talking about giving from a, a different kingdom. And let me th- let me address this practically. Now you're sitting there going, ah, "That's kind of mm, I don't know if I got you." It's okay. I got I got this. Hang on. Let's say that God calls you, tells you, and, and the way you get it. That he wants you to go on a mission trip. Well, those things cost money. But you wanted, uh, say, a new truck. I've brought up a truck twice today. I better find a new thing to have, huh? Not hinting for a new truck. Anyway, but you wanted a new truck, but God told you to go on this mission trip. Now, every follower of God knows that when God tells you to go, you go. The budget will be there. You go. And that's how you decide, by the way, that you're going on a mission trip. You don't look at your bank account. You look into the Father and you say, what do you want me to do, Papa? And you do what he says. That's how this works. Okay? And you're sitting going, that sounds weird. Welcome to Christianity. <sighs> it's, a, it's a trip, man. A good one. That I actually gets somewhere. But that's another story. And so, <clears throat> so you're like, okay, I'm going to go on this mission trip. Now, God's going to provide all right? However, here's what might happen. I'm not saying this will happen, and if if I'm actually nailing your scenario, I'm not saying this is a word from the Lord or anything. I'm just saying here's what might happen, okay? You might go on that mission trip and come back and think to yourself, man, I sacrificed for God. Now God is, because He supplies all my needs, He's going to supply me a new truck. But God's in heaven, and He likes you. He does. You're annoying, but He likes you. And he looks at you, let's say it's me, he looks at Michael's life and he goes, man, I tell you what, I know Michael wants a new truck, but you know what Michael really needs? Michael really needs some relationships. And so here's what I'm going to break Michael's existing truck. So he has to ask Jason for a ride to work every day and they'll build a relationship in the car. That's what Michael needs. I'm going to bless Michael with a broken truck. (laughs) You don't hear that taught in a lot of churches today. (laughs) You give to our program, and God's just going to bless you. Anyway, sorry. I don't know why I got Southern on that. Uh, <laughs> probably Freudian in nature. But anyway, so what I'm trying to tell you is God's going to meet your needs, and he's going to surpass your needs. Probably not going to meet him the way you want him to. Probably not going to meet the way you, you expect him to. He's, but he's always going to surpass him. You can count on him uh, to scare you to death, but that's another thing. All right? Now, this, so it's a change of mindset to move to giving like this. So uh, I, I do need to, have I got plenty of, I don't have plenty of time. I, I'm going to have to do it anyway. There's just one, one thing I want to warn you of, okay? There's so much of uh, teaching out there today that it's just, I don't know, it's a little twist. There's truth to it, but it gets twisted some. How I differentiate between these two thinkings is I, I, believe, I believe the Bible scre- teaches that we should live from a place of abundance, but then there's something that's been uh, named like a prosperity gospel or something like that, and I've got to be honest with you, I, I, I don't know about a lot of that stuff. I, I, I read the Word, I don't read a lot of other people, Okay. But I do want to give you some rules to help you keep you out of trouble real quick. This is just kind of an addendum. I planned it, though, so it's actually part of the sermon. It's simply this. You will never do anything for God, giving, service. You will never do anything for God that's going to put you in a place where God owes you something. You've got to remember this. This is really important. This, and this will help you differentiate between truth and error. Okay, So you're never going to do anything because God gave his own son, nailed him to a cross, rose him from the dead, gave you the power of life and sanctification, righteousness, all these things. What can you do to even up on him? Seriously, what can you do? There's no way. Even if you lay down your life for him, that's not going to equal the son of God perfect laying down his life for you. So there's no way. So if you remember that, that'll keep you out of a lot of trouble. You can never get God to owe you anything. Second thing, God is never about your personal empowerment. Ooh, not popular. He's about you being crucified with Christ so that the power of Christ might rest upon you. He's not about your power. He's about His power in you. Does that make sense? So this will help you keep out of a lot of error. God's never going to owe me, so no matter what I do, I mean, you got a hundred thousand. You want to give to ordinary faith, so God will give you a million. Keep it. Seriously, I-, I love you. We need a building and all that stuff, but I don't want to be part of that lie. All right, this is not the deal. He's never going to owe you. Uh, he's good. He's far better than you can imagine. But he's never going to owe you. And then personal empowerment, man. Don't 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 fill yourself up. Lay your life down. Surrender to Christ. All right, just just turn to him. Last thing though, last thing I got to throw in there because this is the this is this creates a tension here. You got to remember this. Ready? Jesus Christ did pay for all of it. He did pay for all of it. And I don't want you to ever think that Christ isn't enough. He is. I want you to understand you have real authority in Christ. So when it comes to prosperity gospel or whatever they call it, whatever the name is this month, or the assaults, why is the church busy beating itself up? I have no idea. There's so many battles that need to be fought out in the world. But nonetheless, this stuff goes on. And I want you to have those tools. Now, so, what kind of thinking compels you to give? It's the thinking that's, best, that's rested in abundance and in the sacrifice of Christ. Now, why give? So I'm going to get into this cool story right quick. So i got to keep you with me because we're going to talk about a cool guy. His name is Melchizedek. Anybody about to have a baby looking for a baby name? Because I think that's a cool one. <laughs> Melchizedek, man. It's my son, Melchizedek. Be a daughter. It's my daughter, Melchizedek. I don't know. Anyway, so... So let's jump into a story in Genesis, all right? This is a story about Abraham and Melchizedek, Genesis 17. I'm jumping through a little bit in the story. Abraham returned from his victory over cater Laomer and all his allies, and the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Sheva, that is the king's valley. Pause. Abraham's a warrior. I know in past sermons I might have painted him as a sniveling wimp, but he's actually a warrior, okay? And uh, so in this story... What predicates this, or precedes this, is that Abraham took 312 guys, defeated about five armies, four or five armies, and got back all the spoil of Sodom, mainly because in that Sodom was his nephew, Lot, who had been kidnapped along with everything else. And so Abraham goes and gets him, wins the victory, and comes back. What I want you to notice out of this is that there is room in the kingdom for warriors. We need warrior hearts in the kingdom, and we need people to fight for what's right. Back into the story, verse 18. And Melchizedek, the king of Salem, and a priest of God most high, brought Abram some bread and wine. And all the Christians in the room just kind of perked up. Oh, bread and wine, priest, oh, king, cool. Verse 19. And Melchizedek blessed Abram with this blessing. Let me pause. The writer of Hebrews teaches us that Melchizedek is greater than Abraham. He's greater than Abraham because the conclusion is drawn from this act. He's about to bless Abraham and the writer of Hebrews says that without exception, the greater blesses the lesser. So, Melchizedek, this high priest and king, which is an office that didn't, that, that is a type of Christ because Christ is the only priest king. Before that, it was just priests or kings. And so, uh, we see this guy coming out to bless Abraham and we also find from Hebrews that, that this is a type of Christ. Many people have argued that this might have been a pre-incarnation of Christ, like this was actually Jesus showing up. Jesus never claimed it, okay? He never said that it was him, and so we shouldn't go that far either. We shouldn't say that either. But he is definitely an illustration of what Christ would be when he came, all right, in this story of Melchizedek, all right? So he comes out, he, bl- he uh, brings bread and uh wine which is symbolic of communion so basically this whole thing's illustrating the gospel that the new covenant is based on all right bless this is the blessing blessed be abraham by god most high creator of heaven and earth and blessed be god most high who has defeated your enemies for you abraham went out and fought for god and god won the battle you hear that shift god won the battle not abraham God defeated Abraham's enemies. Lots of ways to fight. In this story, it was fists, weapons, blunt instruments, swords. But sometimes it's words. Sometimes uh, it's encouragement. Sometimes it's prayer. Sometimes it's worship. Sometimes it's respect. There are a lot of ways to fight. Then Abraham gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods he had recovered. He gave him a tenth. He gave a tenth tithe. I want you to see that he tithed into a kingdom. This is what's important here. First, there's a lot of things that are important here. First of all, Abraham's tithing from a place of victory, not a place of duty. He's tithing into a kingdom. He's not tithing into a temple because that's what it was under the law. Under the law, the tithe went to support the priests and to maintain uh, the temple and, and all of its functions. But in this case, there is no temple. This is before the law. And so Abraham is actually given a tenth of the spoils of victory to Melchizedek and into a kingdom. Well, what kind of kingdom was that? Well, he's, the, the, uh, he's Melchizedek, by the way. Melchizedek means... King of justice. And he's the king of Salem, which would later become Jerusalem. What does Salem mean? You already know. Peace. So to the king of justice and peace, Abraham is giving a tenth of the spoils of war, a tenth of his victory that he took from the enemy. He's tithing it into a kingdom of justice and peace. Now you're sitting there going, okay, they're really confused not sure I should care. Oh, you should care. You should care. Abraham didn't give out a duty. He didn't give because he was being taxed, which is what the tithe became under temple worship. In fact, at one point, many philosophers believe it got up to 25% rather than 10%. They multiplied it. I don't know. It's the government thinking. They know how to do that kind of stuff. It got twisted. None of that stuff is what Abraham did. Jesus was on earth. He, dealt, he didn't deal with the tithe directly. It was a temple tax, which may have been part of the tithe. There's a little bit ambiguous as to how all those things were tied together. But in Matthew 17, Jesus says, uh, when they ask him to pay taxes uh, on the temple, Jesus asked, turns to Peter and says, What do you think, Peter? Do kings tax their own people or the people they've conquered? Peter answers, Well, they tax the people they've conquered. And Peter replied, Well then, the citizens are free. I mean, Jesus replied, Well then, the citizens are free. Abraham. Didn't give money and spoils of war to Melchizedek because he had to, because he's being taxed to, because he was bound to. He gave it to him because he was free to. And that's what giving's about. Giving's about freedom. It's not just about freedom, it's actually better than that. You got to remember, he went to the enemy, defeated the enemy, took away the enemy's stuff. The enemy was the enemy that, that killed people, that captured people, going to put them in slavery, take away all the stuff, the enemy that came to kill, steal and destroy. Abraham went, defeated them, took away their stuff, and then took their stuff and, and tied it into a kingdom of just and peace, justice and peace. He took away the enemy's stuff and put it into God's kingdom. And that's what giving's about. Giving is an act of war on the enemy that's trying to steal, kill and destroy and wreck the world in which you live. And so when you and I go out, work our jobs, provide for our families or produce or run our businesses or any of those kinds of things that we do, we're actually going out every day as children of God and we're taking the devil's stuff the enemy stuff away from him, and we're putting it into God's kingdom, putting it into your life. You're in God's kingdom. You give that into different things, into your church, into ministry outreaches, into missions groups, into community outreaches. You give into those, and you tithe. You give into justice and peace, and you change the world. You, every time you give, commit an act of war against a vile enemy, and you make the world a better place. And you are free to do that. You are not bound to do that. In fact, I've been very bold about this in the past, and I don't want to be too rude, but I'm going to be a little rude. If you are bound to do it, then don't do it. Seriously. Be free to give. Be free to bless. Never respond in pressure. Respond to a kingdom. And I love the idea. I love the idea of taking the devil's stuff away and using it for God. I love it. You know what I love? This is a personal. It's, this, I do not have time for this. I'm doing it anyway. I would love, we need a building. I would love for God to take it away from the devil and give it to us. That would be awesome, man. That would be cool. I mean, I would take a bar. I'd take anything. Anyway, so. <laughs> sorry. I know your mind went places there. Uh, it's totally on. That's on me. It's on me. Mm-mm. You know, the funny thing about uh, Abraham is, is that Sodom. Uh, let, me, let me read verse 21. The king of Sodom said to Abram, uh, Give back my people who were captured, <coughs> but you keep for yourself all the goods you've recovered. And Abram replied to the king of Sodom, I solemnly swear to the Lord, God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, that I will not take so much as a single thread or sandal thong from what belongs to you. Otherwise, you might say, I'm the one who made Abraham rich. It's so funny. Abram did not need Sodom's wealth, he just needed God. Just needed his father. So, why would you give? You would give to destroy the works of the enemy. You would give to destroy hell. guy I like to listen to, a preacher named Todd White. He was talking about a time before he got well-known where they had asked for some offering in some meeting he was in, and he's writing a check far bigger than he should have. And as he's writing the check, you know, he's filling in this big amount, and as he's signing his name, he's saying, destroy hell, destroy hell, destroy hell. (laughs) Yes, he looked like a nut, but that's what we do when we give. We change, we change the kingdom we're in and make it look like the kingdom we're going to. So let me end real practical, okay? You ready for practical? How to give and not freak out by Michael Maynard. (laughs) You ready? How to give and not freak out. First of all, always remember that giving is so much more than money. I'm not just talking about money. In fact, to be honest with you, if I could choose, I'd choose your time. Here's what I've learned, though. God's either got all of you or none of you. There's like no in-between there, I'm afraid. And so, if I could choose, I'd choose your time because it's worth so much more than money today. And people need it. In fact, uh, several weeks, two weeks ago now, I was sitting in a conference with some faith leaders, well, in a, a... committee meeting, don't tell John Orr, he'll freak, In um, a committee meeting with some chamber members, uh, faith chamber members in our community, and we had just done a, a little bit of a inspection into what were the needs were in our community, to talked to some schools, some of the big community providers in the areas of mental health, and, uh, and needs for women and children and those kind of things, and as I'm sitting in the meeting and people are listing off the needs, I'm just getting overwhelmed. Now it takes a lot to overwhelm me, but I'm just getting in fact, I, I literally, I was so overwhelmed, I, I had to ask them to stop. I'm just like, we, I get it, there's a ton of needs. There's no way that we can accomplish all this, you know, here. I'm just getting overwhelmed. And, and so, uh, giving is so much more than money because a lot of things our community needs is just people to get involved. A high school is desperate for helpers in the after school program up there. I don't know, I could probably list 10 people if I thought about it. Some of them are in this room that could just use volunteers just to make this community a better place and make, give better resources to our children, our, our families, and, and those suffering with mental health needs. And so I'm just saying, giving's a lot more than money. And so don't get hung up on that. If you're sitting in a place, I'm just flat broke, start somewhere. So practical advice is, hey, it's not, a, it's not just money, start somewhere. More practical advice, okay? Uh, The Bible says in Ephesians 4.28, if you're a thief, quit stealing. Hey, that's good advice. Just saying, all right? Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. You know, and so, there's so, like I said, there's more than money. So let me give you some, a a good, here's Michael Maynard's budgeting class in 30 seconds. Well, maybe uh, 30 minutes. You never know what I'll do, right? Uh, G-SIP, give, save, invest, spend Sip, that's wrong. Jesus, oh, Jesus, that's how I'm trying to remember. Okay, give, start with giving. Why? Why should you start with giving? Because giving always puts you in the right kingdom, especially if your heart's in it. It gets you into the right place of source. And I know all the budgeting stuff out there, all the secular financial accounting says you gotta pay yourself first. I say no, I say give to someone else first. Then save, because hey, it's gonna rain one of these days, right? Then learn to invest, pour into things, then spend on yourself. Practically, that means a lot of things. One, deal with debt in your life. Now, if you've got installment loans, I've got a secret for you. It's amazing. It works every time. All you've got to do to overcome installment loan debt is stop making new debt. As an old boss of mine used to say, debt goes away. And it does if you stop making new ones, okay? But there are other kinds of debt. Sometimes uh, student loan debt, sometimes credit card debt. That stuff can just get weird and wonky on you. I remember one time I paid $1,000 for a living room suit that I paid off three or four years later for $6,000. Long story. Uh, You don't want to hear about it. So, hey, and that kind of debt, uh, Dave Ramsey talks about the debt snowball. A lot of stuff out there actually talks about the debt snowball. It's a great, powerful tool to help wipe out that kind of weird debt in your life, okay? Just practical stuff okay? But I got one more thing, because I'm a parent, I got a few kids, (laughs) more than you, and uh, (laughs) likely more than you. Um, Just a word to you parents who have little kids at home, um, that that I I realize it's hard to make it today on one income, I know I've been doing it for a long time, but just the two income family thing is actually a relatively new development, you know, it's, I don't know, it started with the industrial age and came on, so I just want to encourage you that do as much as you can to have a parent there for your kids, especially when they're small. I mean, vacations are great, Amen. but vacations do not make up for a parent in the home every day. So just do yes. what you can. And I don't, I don't want you to take that as guilt. I'm, this is just one parent wishing he'd spent more time with his kids than he did, you know? And so I'm just saying it really helps him out. So from a financial side, give, save, invest, and spend. Put you at the last of the list. You'll be a lot happier later. Than you, than you are now, okay? Now, last, last pointer. Totally free, and you're like, oh, I'm tired of the free stuff already. <laughs> Make giving automatic in your life. That's what I do. In fact, our whole budget, I, everything is set up through my bank. It just all happens automatically. I look at it once a month. There's like one bill I touch. That's it. Uh, now, I'm not, you may not be able to do that. That's fine. I get it. I'm able to do that. It makes my life way easier. Why? why? <laughs> Willpower. <laughs> That's why. The less decisions I have to make, the more likely I'm going to make better ones. <laughs> this is true for diet. It's true for whatever. And so uh, I set things up automatically. I do that with my giving as well. How Chris and I do it, this is not to set an example for you, but just to show you how we do it. Uh, we, we, get, we do the tithe thing, the minimum, to our church. We, we love ordinary faith, and this is our ministry. We've done that. Every church I've ever been a part of. And then we support about six missionaries. And we love supporting missionaries. They send us emails. One, I got a missionary support in Peru that sends me coffee. I love that guy. <laughs> He's my guy. So anyway, I just, it's just a real blessing to be a part of that. Why am I telling you this? I'm just trying to make it real practical for you because ordinary faith is a practical faith. And, and I want you to know how powerful this can be in your life. I'm telling you what, you get to a place where you can give you're going to be free from your own pocketbook. You're going to start living from a different kingdom. I want you to live in abundance. I don't want you living in brokenness. Okay? I want you to live in knowing God's got you. And this is one of those pieces. Okay? All minds clear? No, most are freaked out. It's good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, talked about somewhat of a sensitive subject today, but you made it fun. You always do. And so, Lord, as we come to you today as your children, people that you give the opportunity to to work with you, to give and bless people and bless our community. Father, we just need your power and your strength to, to look at our own lives, look at our finances, look at our time, look at our talents and see how we can bless others. I want to thank you for the lady that came up to me just before church. And just, just in tears because this body had blessed her in a time of need. The enemy had come to steal, kill, and destroy. But her church family gathered around her and, and protected her and held her together and blessed their family. Lord, that's stuff no individual can do. But God does through his people. And I thank you for that reminder of how powerful and good giving is as God in his kindness, God in his kindness gives through us. Thanks, Papa. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.